All right. Hey, it's Ryan. I wanted to address uh, the fans of the old podcast before we get into the new podcast. It's been kind of a crazy couple of weeks. Um, I was driving my son home from visiting my parents when I when my phone started dinging um, and the drama started with my with my former co-host. Um, you know, changing race results because you're mad at somebody. I mean, it's it's childish, right? Why would you do that? And if that's all it was, we'd probably have to do an episode of the podcast where we talked about how childish and stupid it is to change someone's results years after a race, disqualifying someone four years after a race because you're not happy with something they said online. That was something that maybe the podcast does continue. But it was the allegations uh, against my former co-host that are very serious allegations. And I knew at that point... When I started seeing more of those popping up, that the podcast was over. Um, and so I canceled the podcast on my end, and I deleted all the episodes of the podcast, and the website was taken down because these allegations are very serious, and, and it, it speaks to a pattern of behavior that I don't condone in any way, shape, or form. As a husband, as a father... Um, these are very serious and, and kind of disturbing allegations, to be honest with you. And I don't want anything to do with that. And I know that the podcast would be kind of colored by not only the change in the results, but also the allegations against my former co-host. So I knew the podcast was over in, in that form. And I really was of the mindset of, okay, well, my podcasting days are over. And it was... All the messages, I know the kids say, you know, your phone blows up. And my phone was was dinging constantly from Facebook messages, um, from text messages, um, people reaching out on Instagram and just saying, hey, we love the podcast. We'd like it to come back. We'd like you to come back and podcast again. Um, we like what you did on the show. And so it was reading those over and over and over again that it kind of, it got me thinking, right, to... To, to do this, but do it on my own. If I'm being 100% honest with you, it's been kind of hard the last year or so to do the old podcast because of a lot of not showing up by my, my former co-host and calling in and the last second or being on the podcast and eating dinner and or loudly grocery shopping while you're on the podcast. And I kind of thought that was very disrespectful, not only to the guests that we had on, but to you, the listener as well. And so I was, I was really losing the drive to do that podcast. And then of course this happened. And I knew that when I saw the allegations and I saw not only the changing of results, but these allegations and how serious they were, I knew I needed to distance myself from that situation. So we're moving forward, right? We're doing a new podcast. And I've, I, let me tell you, of all the great messages that I've gotten on Facebook, um, I've, I've, I, I heard you read it, and I want to take the things you loved about the old podcast and bring them to this new podcast. And so Jeff Stafford and I have been brainstorming, um, <laughs> came up with the name. My daughter, Ava, who's a college student, came up with the logo. Um, she built the website for it. Um, Carrie Long, who's a dear friend, actually composed the theme song you're going to hear in a couple of minutes um, for this podcast. Um, just got together with with Scotty Coomer at 10 Junk Miles and bounced some ideas off of him. And so actually, it's kind of funny, new podcast, new studio. Um, Jeff Stafford's in the process of converting one of his spare bedrooms into a new studio for the podcast. So very excited to move on and do a new podcast where I'm st always going to have a Beast Coast bias. I love the runners here. I love the races here. But we now have an opportunity to expand a bit, right? But I still want to share stories of people from the front, from the middle, from the back of the pack. And we're going to do that. So we're going to give you those one-on-one -on -one interviews with fascinating runners that I hope you hear those interviews and you're inspired and they help take off the miles. But I also want to start talking to race directors, you know, getting to know about races um, that I've not heard of before. Great races that you hear it, you get inspired and you go, you know what? I'm going to sign up for this race because it sounds fantastic and it, you know, it sparks your imagination. But I also 
we're going to do a show called crew shows, you know, because to get through tough miles, you need a crew. And so we're going to have shows where your favorites from the old podcast, you know, Andy Jones Wilkins and and uh, Jeff Stafford are going to be joining us with various other people that I've come to know and love over the past couple, uh, you know, couple years with the old podcast. We're gonna have a good time. That's the goal of the podcast is just to have fun, talk about running, not take it too seriously, meet some fascinating people and share some incredible stories. So that is why, um, instead of just calling it quits, we've decided to do the new podcast, the new podcast called the adventure jogger it was a term i heard at a race when i was passing some very serious runners and they used it as a dismissive term to talk about people in the back of the pack and i loved it so much that i was like oh this is like a two years ago and i go god i should have called the podcast the adventure jogger and now i have the opportunity we're online at uh, theadventurejogger.com we're on facebook we're on instagram thank you for reaching out thank you I heard your messages and they were, they, they, they really touched me. They really did. And I hope that my old co-host can maybe look at himself and grow and change uh, from this experience and see these, these stories, these people that you've affected and go, okay, I've got to make some changes. I hope that's, that's for him. But now we move forward and I want to thank you for listening to this six minute ramble. And I really hope you enjoy the brand new podcast. If you're a new listener and you just found this on iTunes, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So sorry. But now it's time for the new podcast. It's the Adventure Jogger. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. He once had the FKT on the Appalachian Trail. He's won more 100-mile ultramarathons than any human on the planet. If you go to an ultra and look around, you will see numerous runners wearing the shoe that bears his name, one of Hoka's best-selling shoes. Please welcome to the Adventure Jogger podcast, Carl the Speed Goat Meltzer. What's up, Carl? I am now an adventure jogger. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever used that term as a derogatory statement towards slower people? Well, I'm a little slow with these days. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be here. I'm glad you have me on. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a pleasure and an honor, really, because I'm still kind of hanging in there. Well, Carl, how are you handling? You know, you're you're the goat. You're the speed goat. You're the greatest hundred mile runner of all time. How are you handling quarantine and COVID nineteen and being stuck in your house? Well, um. You know, things haven't really changed for me that much. I just, I think, because I'm not in the center of a major outbreak area. Yeah. Which doesn't mean we're not, again, you know, have all the protocol of the social distancing, all that kind of stuff. But I've been able to run wherever I want to. Um, we've been able to really get out of our house. You know, obviously, like most places, stores are closed. You know, some stores are closed, restaurants are closed, those types of things. Um, so that is all, I think, the same, mostly as part of the country. But for me... I work at home, um, which hasn't changed. You know, that's not really yeah. changing. Um, and I'm able to get out. We're not really restricted that hard in terms of uh, maybe, you know, I, the stay at home directive is, you know, stay at home, but right. we are kind of allowed to get out and do things. So, and I've been golfing a lot because we're able to golf here. So that's my best form of social distancing and getting away from the world <laughs> to walk, walk down the fairways with, uh, you know, sometimes myself. And then sometimes a couple of buddies who are more than, you know, a hundred yards apart from me. Cause I hit the ball further than they do. <laughs> Someone asked, I saw online, <laughs> I saw online, Carl. Um, I don't know if you've watched, um, the last dance on ESPN. It's the story of the bulls and their last championship. Sure. Someone yep. wanted to know online after watching that, who would win in a golf match, Michael Jordan or Carl, the speed goat Meltzer. Do you want to weigh I in on him. that? You'd beat him. I'd play him. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're a good golfer. Like you're not like a, like a, like a mini golfer. You're like a legit (laughs) golfer, Carl. No, I think, I think, uh, I'm like a four handicap, four to five handicap. So I shoot about mid seventies. 
sometimes a little higher, sometimes a little lower. But generally speaking, about 76 is probably my average. Um, Michael Jordan is probably around the same. I know he's a pretty good player as well. You know, he's not as good as Steph Curry, who is a scratch player. He's even better than Michael. But no, that would be cool. As long as I play him for money, as long as it's a little bit weighted. You know, <laughs> he, pays, he pays me 10 grand a hole. I pay him 10 bucks. I think we're in. Well, well, I mean, you know, you Come do. On, Jordan. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> you do have Hoka's best-selling trail shoe with your name on it. So, I mean, you and Jordan would have something to talk about out on the golf course. You know, that's a good point. I think he's probably sold a few more pairs than I have. However, <laughs> Uh, that is true. You would have two guys that have their own signature shoe playing golf, not their actual sport that, uh, you know, they're famous for or whatever. Um, that would be pretty funny. Actually. That's a good point. I would think that the speed goat fours would be better on the golf course than the latest Jordans because of that, the, the Vibram super grip on the bottom, he'd be slipping and sliding in those basketball shoes and you'd have a pretty solid swing. Yeah, I think uh, the shoes actually would be good for would be good for golf with the sole for sure. Um, they're a little little higher stack than you two. Golf shoes should be lower and stiff, but <laughs> you'd have to get bigger clubs because if you went out there with the big Hoka stack playing golf in your in your in your uh, speed goats, you'd probably mm-hmm. need to either lean over more or get longer clubs, and it would affect your game. You might add an inch to the shaft. Yeah, you, know, you might make the shaft a little. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, um, I've, I've actually played a few rounds into my Hoka's too. I mean, I wear normal golf shoes typically, but um, before I bought my golf shoes, I wore my, I think I wore, uh, I wore Speed Goats a couple of times, but I also wore the the ATRs or something yeah. before the Speed Goats were out. And it was a little different because you are, I mean, you're all a little higher off the ground, but uh, they worked, you know, they worked when I did the, I wore those in the, uh, when I ran the 230 holes in 20 and 12 hours, I wore Hoka's. I wore Speed Goats for that. Really? Yeah. Well, actually, they were challengers, but they were hocus. Um, so, so tell me about that for a minute. So, you combined your two loves of ultra running and golf by mm-hmm. by playing a, a massive round of golf and then running in between the holes. Yeah, we had a charity event for ocular melanoma. A yeah. friend of mine contacted me that followed my career and knew that I played golf, and uh, so we played at a play, at Napa Golf Course, Napa, California. Um, just a charity event, but. I had the opportunity to go for a world record of playing more holes than anyone else in 12 hours. So I jumped on, I mean, you know, why not? Right. Yeah. Jumped on that. I actually ran the Sonoma 50 a week before that, which didn't make my chances that good because I was you know, tired or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, but I did it and, uh, the 230 holes, it's not about score. Remember? So you're not, you know, I'd score a lot lower on regular, regular golf, yeah. but, uh, it was fun. And we raised, we raised 30, 40,000 bucks. I think in that tournament for eight people, and, uh, yeah, I wore my Hoka's Cheryl drove my wife, Cheryl, she yeah. drove the cart around behind me. The cart died after four rounds and she had to walk it in. Wait, uh, you need to put that on your website. Run. Carl Meltzer. I can outrun a golf cart. <laughs> yeah. Well, it died. You know, I mean, she didn't really realize that, you know, golf carts only go about two rounds before the batteries kind of die out. And, uh, she was crewing me from the golf cart, you know, um, which was kind of cool. So, but it died. It was kind of funny when it died. You know, it's funny, you, you bring up Carl crewing and your wife, Cheryl, who I, I had the opportunity to meet Cheryl a couple of years ago at the Pinhoti 100. And I mm-hmm. and there's a big contrast. I want people to, to get this image in their head of most people, Carl, when their wife crews them, they'll come into an aid station with their wife and their wife is sitting there and the wife has a sign that says, I love my husband running a hundred miles and they'll mm-hmm. talk and she'll go, honey, how are your feet? And he'll go, Oh, my feet are sore. And honey, are you eating enough? And then they'll hug a bit and then they'll give a little smooch. And then, you know, he'll walk away from the aid station. This is pretty much my experience with my wife at an aid station. Pretty standard uh, explanation. Yeah. Good you job. know, that sort of thing. Oh, I love you, honey. Oh, mm-hmm. you imagine the time you could, if your wife wasn't at a, at a race, the time you would have, uh, off at the finish here's how carl Meltzer and his wife are at an aid station because i remember it was at, i think it was the, the top of mount chiaha so yeah. there's cheryl sitting down has everything all laid out then carl comes running in no talk throws every all the the wrappers of goo out of his pack gives her the water bottles grabs the goo sticks them in the pack 
grabs one water bottle and takes off. Cheryl then had to fill the other water bottle and run full speed to catch up with you right before she she reached the cruise not allowed past here part. Like there was no smoochy smooch. There was no, how are you doing? It is 100% business when you roll into an aid station, even if your wife is there. Well, it's, you know, when you're trying to win, it's all business. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I recall, I think I recall being on Chiaha and I, I think I was in front by maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something like that. And, uh, well, you know, when you're in the front of a race, you don't know where they are behind you. Right. Right. But you, you rally, you know, yeah. you're trying to win, you rally through it. If you're far, if you're behind, you get, you can get the exact number of minutes that you're behind. So you, you kind of know where you're at, but when you're leading, um, it's you know, all business because get it done, get out of there. Cause you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you got 60 miles to go or so after Chiha. So you, know, you just rally. I mean, I've always been like that. I've always tried to like minimize my downtime races because that's, I think for most, for the most part, um, I'm, you know, 99% faster than everybody else at that. I mean, a lot of guys do a lot of guys in the front are very quick now anyway, but there's some guys that hang around a little bit. And if I can get that advantage without really, having to run faster than I'm going to take it, you know? Do you, do you anticipate a time? I, I've talked to Andy, AJW, uh, name uh-huh. dropping. Um, it, it, I remember him saying he's getting slower as he gets older and how he's moved kind of to the middle of the pack. Do you mm-hmm. anticipate a time, Carl, where you can roll into an aid station and, and do the whole, how are you, honey, smoochy smooch, five-minute exchange? Well, five minutes a long time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe three, maybe three, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, what else do I have to do in there? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just trying to help Cheryl out because I'm sure your wife sees all these 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 wives and 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 all the all both boyfriends there and husbands there as well that get yeah. that quality time at aid stations and you know in one aid station for the normal couple that's been your entire marriage amount of time. <laughs> yeah, I th- you know. AJW says he's getting slower. I'm getting slower too. So don't kid yourself. I've, you know, over the years, the hardest thing for me now is that staying injury free is the hardest thing Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm not really, I have a bit of a calf issue right now. Right. So it's not, it's not killing me, but I'm not running nearly as much as I have been because of that. And it's the recovery factor. You can't recover as fast. And you just, what's crazy about as you get older, you know, younger people like, Oh, I'll be just as fast. And like, well, no, you won't. You'll be a little slower because your body just doesn't work as right, fast. Right. Um, and I've accepted that. And I think AJW has probably accepted that too. We can't run at the very front of the pack anymore. Not to mention they're getting faster anyway. But the whole idea now, I think for he and myself, is that when we go to a race and the whole thing is about enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm not really a smoochy smooch guy. <laughs> and my wife would laugh that if she's her, she probably hears this now. She's in the other room. But, uh, it's, you know, to me, the race is just like, if, if I'm having a good race, I'm focused on running and not really anything else. I'm not even having fun at aid stations, but if I'm kind of slow and I'm having a bad day, then I'll, I'll get a little lax. You know, if I know I have a really big lead, which a lot of times it used to be like that sometimes, but then I'll be a little bit slower, but it's, you know, race is a race and that's just my mentality of race to the finish, you know? Yeah. You always have been very, very competitive it, when you, started noticing a slowdown was that was that frustrating or is it just something you're kind of like well i mean i'm not 30 anymore well it is a little frustrating to to because you think when you stand on the start line even now if i go stand on the start line of my next race if i run it if it happens yeah superior 100 okay oh carl you're doing superior yeah Yeah. so and i've always wanted to do superior for five to seven years i'm like i want to do superior finally this year I'm entered and I'm on it. And it's a good race for me in theory because it's technical. It's yep. hilly, kind of, it's tough, you know, uh, it should be good for me. But when I stand on that start line, I can just, you know, I kind of think back to the, you know, 10 years ago when I was competitive at the front, I still feel that way when I stand on the line, but for some reason, the kid that's 25 just takes off. <laughs> I say, well, wait a minute. You know, like, why is he taking off like that? Like it was like that at the Ute last year. Yeah. Um, ran and, Trevor Fuchs, um, he won. He ran away and kind of won. And at the beginning, I was just jogging my pace, which felt comfortable, which is what I always do, regardless of what yeah. the other people are doing. And Trevor just kind of ran away about 
I'm going to say roughly a minute or mile faster, maybe 40 seconds a mile faster. I just can't hang with that pace anymore. So I just stick with my, my theory of just run your own race, you know? And if Trevor comes back to me, great. He didn't, he won, he won by a couple hours, but um, you know, you just, you just have to accept it, man. It's like I'm 52, you know, right. I'm not 35 anymore. I mean, I started racing ultras when I was 29. A lot of guys have been racing for seven, eight years now, and now they're 29. <laughs> so I've been racing a long time and it's you get a little slower. It's okay. I, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, I'm glad I'm still running as a professional runner. I, you know, I, the coolest thing is to have the shoe, like you mentioned, is yeah. that, you know, I can always say I got that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and Hoka, you know, it's really cool that Hoka stood behind that because you never really know when you bring those kinds of ideas up to a company. I mean, it could be like, yeah, whatever. They throw right. it out. Oh, right. We're going to make whatever. And I, and I totally understood that if that were to happen, but they stuck behind me. They got it. They get it. And, you know, now it's like, I swear every day I go for a run, someone's wearing speed goats. Whether I walk my dogs in the morning or whether I run up my normal trail or run up at Snowbird or wherever I see in Utah, at least in Utah, some I always see somebody with those shoes on. And I always say nice shoes if it's appropriate. <laughs> and and some people say, Oh, thanks, Carl. Well, they I'm you know, I've lived here 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So it's I mean, that's like the cool thing when someone actually recognized you. Someone recognized my dad the other day in the Mount Sunapee parking lot in New Hampshire. Really? He, hike. Yeah. He was up for a hike the other day and poor dad lost his credit cards, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, senior, but, uh, someone recognized him and, and, and said, Hey, I'll take your number down and, and I'll call you if I find him. Some kid was running up yeah. the mountain. Yeah. My dad talked to him anyway. My dad was like, Oh yeah, well, my son had done the AT and the, the kid was like, yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> my dad, and my dad. And he, and he started laughing, you know, and he was like, yeah, you're a senior from the Appalachian trail, the movie made to be broken. And I was just like, like, wow, dad, you're famous, you know, <laughs> anyway, over my career. Now my dad is getting a thing from the film. So it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of a cool thing. That's pretty cool. I, I like to imagine though, you know, you out for a run somewhere and, and someone bought a pair of speed goats, not because, of Carl, the speed goat Meltzer, mm-hmm. it's because they were at the, the, the running connection or wherever they buy their shoes and like, Oh, those look cute. And they come in nice colors and oh, right. they, they feel good. And so they're out on the trail and you see them and walk by and go like, Hey, nice shoes. And they're like, what, what the, what the fuck's that guy's problem? Right. 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 <laughs> they don't know. They don't know me like that, but that's, that's the thing is I, it's not only like, you know, the aggressive trail runner out there that's has wearing them. It's right. Like, maybe walking the dog is wearing them. You know, I've, I'm serious. It's like, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, it just blows my mind that, I mean, I see them all the time. I, I don't know the exact number of how many pairs they've sold, but I mean, when you see them, that's definitely the most popular shoe that I see. I see a lot of Solomons out yeah. there. I don't know all the same Solomon, but I see a lot of those. I see a lot of Alters around here too, because Alters are local in Salt Lake. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Um, but when you get your own name in a shoe and you see it like every day, it's just like, yeah, it's crazy. What, what, what was your reaction when Hoka told you that that was their best-selling trail shoe? Or had they told you? Have they not told you? Are they are they holding off because there's a contract renegotiation coming up? <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think they've mentioned Taze is our number one shoe, but they don't have to tell me that. I know, I know just because I see. Um, I've probably read it somewhere through the social media channels that it's their number one shoe, but it is. Uh, I think their number one shoe overall of the company is. I think it's the Clifton, which is a road shoe. Yeah, but that makes sense because. Um, well, I mean, road, road runners are 90% of the, the market, you know? Right. But, um, but yeah, to be the, their number one trail shoe, I mean, doesn't mean it's going anywhere anytime soon, I would think. So, so that's cool. You know? Well, um, if they cancel the speed goat, people are going to riot, Carl. I mean, yeah, I mean that shoe's not, they're not going to cancel that one out. <laughs> no, no, there'll, there'll be riots. People with pitchforks outside of Hoka yeah. <laughs> demanding the, re- the return of the speed goat. One thing I noticed too, is you filmed a commercial for that. For Hoka, you did some Hoka commercials. How yeah. surreal is that to to film a television commercial for your shoes? Do you mean the one with the helicopter? Yes. When I was in- yeah. 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 So that twenty minute thing. So when they mentioned we want to do a little project with you with that, I I really didn't know what it would entail. But then all of a sudden they started talking. Well, we're going to need you to go to New Hampshire. We're going to need you to you know to talk to my dad and stuff. And we're going to need to go. Uh, we have a film crew of seven people. And I was like, huh. You know, usually it's like one guy with a camera doing a photo shoot or something like yeah. that. 
And then, you know, then we're driving out to about a mile east of here in Weber Canyon. We're flying around on a helicopter. Um, my dad, you know, we were filming overnight in New Hampshire uh, near my parents' house. They're building a little trail in the woods so I could run down this trail. All that little stuff, that blew my mind. I was thinking to myself, like, the, the budget dollars for the, you know, I mean, helicopters. <laughs> um so I, that kind of blew me away. They asked me about getting a helicopter. And it's called Wasatch Powderbirds. They're the local uh, helicopter ski, you know, operation up at Snowbird. They were actually like six grand a day or something. Yeah. So that's a lot. This the ones we had were quite a bit less than that. Different company, but you know, the whole budget numbers, the all the amount of people, what was involved, all the props, all the cameras, all the, the so many things. I mean, that was like crazy but that was the first time hoka made or sort of did a project with mm-hmm. the runner yeah where they did a film like that and uh mike baker he's the one that he was kind of the director of the whole thing and he said that you know we wanted to prove to hoka that we can make a high quality film or you know short film um and then do this again in the future with other hoka athletes and they've done stuff with jim they've done, done stuff with others now too which you know it's all just coming down the line it's something that red bull's always done with their athletes you know uh, Red Bull may have started that years and years and years ago. Um, and Hocus sort of followed that lead a little bit. I mean, both, obviously you need big budgets to do stuff like that, but, um, if someone those speed goat shoes, I think they'll be all right. <laughs> right. They sold enough shoes with your name on it. They'll give you a helicopter. Yeah, I promise I won't say speed goat shoes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Too much over promotion, but, but no, it's something like that. Like the fact that we spent that much time, like in that film there at the very end of it, I think it was the very end of it where I was laying in my truck and I was just like turning off the light. Yeah. Okay. So that particular spot, we had to find a location to park that truck to do that. It took an hour and a half to set up me laying in the back of my truck going, <laughs> we had to wait for it to get dark. We had to make a little campfire or so whatever we did. I don't remember, but, but, uh, it takes, it takes a lot of, time and effort to put something like that together. The amount of times I went back and forth and I crashed on the ground. Um, okay, Carl, just, you know, do a nosedive into the ground. It's like, really? I need to crash. <laughs> um, you know, it was a sustained crash, but it takes a lot to put a film like that together. A lot more than some people would think. It's not just like quick. Right. Quick stuff. It took, I mean, it took a week of flying back and forth a lot of time. And there's that one scene where you're wearing a suit. Uh, did you have to buy that, or is that an actual Carl Meltzer suit? It's certainly not a Carl Meltzer suit because it was a little big. <laughs> but but, uh, but no, that whole that whole piece too, you know, with the kids running down the road. I mean, those kids were all hired a little actors, you yeah. know. Um, the kid kind of looked like I did, which was pretty pretty funny when I was a kid. But but the wearing of the suit was, you know, they had to. I don't own a suit, Ryan. I don't own one. <laughs> I had to get one, I think, when, when my wife's sister got married. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, Carl. What did what did Carl the Speed Goat Meltzer get married in? Uh, I had a blue shirt and a pair of jeans on. <laughs> Was we, it met, a- we, we met the Justice of the Peace at the Pine Trailhead, and she was wearing a fabulous pink, pink, like, sweatsuit. And her daughter was there, $100, signed the waiver. We walked down to the creek. She almost slipped in the snow and killed herself. We, we, we you know, said I do's, or did our I do's, and then I came home and I mowed the lawn. Wow. I'll tell you what. There's people, Carl, that say romance is dead. And That's I, efficient, I, Ryan. See how efficient that was? <laughs> Three minutes. <laughs> That's been faster than an aid station. That's fantastic. What did you do after your wedding, everybody listening right now? I bet you didn't mow your lawn like Carl did. Well, I had to groom had to groom the grass, man. We went out for sushi later on or something and then just like proceeded with the next day. And uh sure it feels different. Yeah, Carl's dog is in the, the Sure it feels different. Um, but but at the same time it's like you know, for us it was a great thing, it was a wonderful thing to do, and we're psyched. And uh, now my dog's growling. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was always like, her sister had this big production wedding sort of in April. Yeah. Of the church. I had to wear a suit for that where everybody looks the same, yada, yada. Um, I just didn't want that. I don't feel it's necessary. Yeah. It wasn't about the money. It was just like, it just didn't feel like it was necessary. So 
we just kept it simple and we let her sister Jeanette have her big fancy wedding. Yeah. Um, and we still hadn't told Cheryl's parents. So <laughs> that wedding was over and done. We're out the next day. And then we dropped the bomb that we had actually gotten married a week earlier, but we <laughs> ruined, we didn't really want to ruin the party for Jeanette because it was kind of her time. So we just dropped the head bomb and her parents walking down the hallway in a hotel. And they were kind of like, huh. <laughs> they didn't really, they didn't, I mean, I don't, you know, they didn't think they, really, they, they didn't see that coming. We'll say that. Are you, the, so, <laughs> Carl, are you the favorite son-in-law? I think so. <laughs> I, am, I think I, I wasn't at first. I don't think. <laughs> And I think I've, uh, I think I smoothed things out pretty well over the time. You know, they're always wondering like, well, does he work? Well, it's like, well, he, he runs, he's a runner. Like, why do you make money running? And I don't think Cheryl had an answer for that, but, but, uh, but that's, you know, you know, I, I'm obviously doing all right now. Well, yeah. So, I mean, your, you your, know. your in-laws have to, to, they know what the speed goat shoe looks like. And I'm sure when they yeah. see people wearing them, they're like, you know, that's my son-in-law's shoe, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, yeah, it definitely um, was a kind of unique situation. When we first got married, I, I, I stopped working at Snowbird in 2007. Yeah. I had like no job. So at the time it was like, well, what's this guy going to do? Right. Right. Well, he's a runner. Well, okay. Well, here's his photo on, you know, the cover of ultra running or trail runner magazine or something. And that maybe said something, but I didn't get any paid any money to be on the cover of the magazine. Right. Someone just took a photo, right? But but that store sort of said, oh, he actually, maybe he is recognizable or he, you know, he's got something going on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, eventually it escalated into more once Hanahoka came around the door. But, um, you know, I've always been the current kind of person that sort of lets, I let things come to me. I don't really seek out. Uh, I don't really have folks to seek out a certain job or career yeah. or something like that, or to let it all fall in my lap. So, and I'm still like that now. Um, I just let stuff fall in my lap and let it keep rolling. And obviously they sort of her, you know, my in-laws realize now that that's just how Carl does things. Um, yeah. And then it's fine. You know, obviously, I mean, I, I live in a nice house. I live in a nice place. Things are good. So, you know, can't argue with that. No, you can't. They saw those shoes and they were like, "That that's that's my son-in-law right there in the, in the movies uh, you've been in. Yeah. <laughs> it is an interesting life, Carl. And it is something that, you know, really unexpected. I remember you telling me years ago about how when Hoka was I mean, just getting started, like they were not what they are today. And mm -hmm. you were like one of the first athletes to wear Hoka shoes to an ultra. And just, I mean, there was nothing like that on, on feet at the time you you show up wearing these strange neon colored shoes with these gigantic rubbery soles what the mm -hmm. heck did people think do you, if you remember back to that first race where you were oh, I remember. wearing hokas yeah sure that was 2009 or 2000 maybe 2000 2010 okay 50 mile so you know i i left la sportiva because not because they're a bad company the company's great um, but I just left them because the shoes weren't, I wasn't thrilled with what I was running in. And then, you know, Nico Mermoud came around, random phone call, let, let it come to me, mm -hmm. <laughs> random call. And I kind of liked what I felt. Didn't necessarily think I liked what I saw. I liked what I felt. <laughs> and, and I rolled with it. And when I showed up at Zane Gray, sure. I went to the, get my number the day before and people were looking at me like, what, what, what? <laughs> they didn't know what to say. Um, you know, moon boots, clown shoes, whatever. I run the race and I'm leading the race. I'm way out in front. I climb over a tree. I fall backwards because of branch breaks. I break my arm. And then Hoke actually had a bad, uh, some bad publicity because of that. Cause they thought I broke my arm because of the moon boots. Right. Really? Yeah. So I, I mean, I was reaching over a tree and I just, the branch just broke. Yeah. It was this tree and I just fell back and I looked up, my arm was like a big little mess. I was like, cool, that's, uh, that's a problem. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I walked the next aid station and I was still in the lead at four miles. I walked on the road, on the trail to the aid station was still leading, but my arm was at six miles to go. My arm was just, I was like, I don't want to fall. So I stopped, you know, I went to the ER and, and dealt with that. Um, so that actually got a little bit of bad rap on Hoka because people found out about that and thought it was bad. But, you know, eventually the local stores here in Salt Lake, they, they kind of stuck with my word that I like these things. And they, they each bought like 50 pairs each, maybe yeah. two or 50 each. 
and they sold out of them before they got them. So that was like the first step of like, wow, this is maybe Carl does have some influence, you know, and which was cool at the time. And I'm like, Oh, cool. You know, and then it was hard to get them, but you know, Nico and Jean-Luc, the two starters, they didn't have like, you know, $8 million of funding to just start this company. They started it from scratch. And um, I don't know what their financial background was at the time or anything, but um, you know, eventually Decker's bottom and that, that fueled, fueled the fire, so to speak. Um, they almost didn't make, they almost, they almost went under before Decker's Bob. Really? And because they didn't have any money to resupply you know, they just didn't have the, the, the assets. It's so the reason you go to shark tank. <laughs> um, so, you know, once that happened, when Decker's bought over, it all kind of changed. And that's when my idea of the, the Spigo shoe came out. I mean, I had the idea when I was like, you know, 20, <laughs> Yeah. but, but, you know, um, and then it all kind of just came in, came, came to play. And, and, uh, you know, now we're seeing what we're seeing and people really are, it's such an interesting market because you put this crazy shoe out there that's off the charts different, and yeah. then all and the whole world changes from minimalism of, you know, the new balance one-on-one slipper to these, you know, fat hokas clown shoes that Carl's wearing. Uh, it was cool to make an influence, you know, and cool to have a career that it really meant something <laughs> To the running world, you know. I mean, what does it mean now? Now I'm just older and slower. Ah, I, don't don't be too hard on yourself, Carl. You're still the yeah. goat for crying out loud. No one's uh, approached your record for the most hundred mile wins yet. Um, who who was in second place and ended up winning Zane Gray that year that you broke your arm? Uh, Scott Heine won the race. Okay, he passed. So he, where I was at the aid station, still the last aid station, he kind of strolled in and he's like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "Check it out." And I showed him my arm, which was like crooked. And he's like, oh man, you know, he felt bad. Like he knew he wasn't, he was way, he was like 40 minutes behind me. He was way behind me. And, uh, you know, so he went on to one and, you know, Scott Heim is a good friend of mine too. I've known him forever. So, you know, things shit happens. We hung out and had beers afterwards. I, I had morphine in me, so I didn't hurt. <laughs> I hit from my arm. I'm going to know I wasn't driving. <laughs> um, you know, then when I came back to Salt Lake and I went to see my regular doctor and then we kind of got things settled out, but, but Scott won the race and, uh, you know, I'm not going back to Zane Gray too. Zane Gray is a great race for those one, a technical race. It's, it's awesome. Did he send you a gift basket after that? Because you really did kind of, <laughs> you'll give him that, that race. Yeah. I don't think he gave me a gift basket. He might've bought me a six pack or something. Okay. That, that's, that's close enough. Um, close Carl, enough. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, six pack. I think Carl sounds like a six pack guy over a yeah. gift basket guy. You also are a race director, Carl, the speed uh-huh. goat 50 K I know with, with Corona and COVID and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the situation right now with the speed goat 50 K? You know, we really don't know We're we're my, my personal view, which doesn't really mean shit when it comes to all this, but um, is that I think there's going to be a window when some events are going to happen. And I think that's going to be anywhere from mid July to maybe mid September. Mm-hmm. And then those events are going to stop again because it's fall flu season. I think it's going to stop. But right now what we're doing is again, that's just my opinion. Um, Utah's in a pretty good situation in terms of COVID-19. It's, you know, it's not good. It's horrible, but it's not uh, New York city. You know, it's right. not the metropolis in some states that have major outbreaks. So we're actually starting to loosen, loosen up a little bit. And, you know, we've gone through all the protocol. I've bought all the shirts. I have all the finisher mugs now already, all done. You know, um, I'm ready for the race. All my, per- my permit is fine. Of course, FS can revoke that. Yeah. <laughs> but permit's been done. I don't have to, I don't have to fight for it. Um, we've put protocol together to, to keep everything clean and safe and all that kind of stuff. We don't get into the details of that, but. Just look at your guidelines, you know? Um, so we're following the rules of what we have to do. And my, my vision on the whole thing is that, and some people may not like this all that much, but I really don't want to have a race that's, um, I'm going to plug in my computer. Give me a second. Yeah, that's fine, Carl. You can edit that part. Just one yeah, second. let's edit that part out, Carl. Carl's going to plug in his computer, everybody. Hey, I want to take this moment to just point out while Carl's looking for the plug. Um, Adventure Jogger, theadventurejogger.com is the website. We're also on Facebook, The Adventure Jogger, also on Instagram, which is a lot of fun, as Carl plugs in his computer. We're good. We're back. Okay, you found the plug. That's good. All right. Yeah, I found the plug. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that we're, with all the protocol with the race, we're doing all those things to be safe. 
to getting back to my whole view though, is that I kind of don't want to have a race that we have to have a staggered start of 20 people every three minutes. We can't let people gather after the race at all to have a couple of beers, eat pizza, that kind of thing. I'd, I'd hate to have a race where, you know, I'm standing at the finish line with my mask on saying, nice job as you run by me. I right, go home. <laughs> right. You know, I, I mean, I understand that people want to run it and, but I saw, I still sort of want it to be like a normal event. So my decision, if I were to say cancel it or keep it going, it just depends on what they tell me I can do. Um, I give people the option right now. People just get on a wait list so they don't lose any money. Right. I started that with ultra sign up. A lot of races follow that lead. It's a great idea. Um, you know, for those people that were on the list already, they'll get a rollover opportunity for two years. So once every the next two years, so they have the option, you know, if someone really bitches and complains, I'll probably send them their money back, <laughs> minus whatever. Well, minus the ultra shine of fee maybe or something, right. you know, I don't want to pay money to have, tell them to go home. Right. But, but, but the bottom line is, is that that's sort of my view on, on, on the race thing. I do think a lot of races will, you know, the Bryce Canyon Ultras is another race that's coming soon. And I think it's May 30th, which so three weeks out from now. And they plan to have the race. Um, they've got multiple distances. They've got technically, they've got 1200 people signed up, which is a shitload. Yeah. Um, and they're going to stay They're They're planning on having it, that they're going to have this, you know, their staggered start, all that kind of stuff. But I kind of think they're going to get shut down about a week out. But again, that's my personal view. But I think if they don't get shut down, um, one of my other key players at, at, uh, the Spiegel race, we're going to get on a watch and stay from the sides. And I, you know, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not even going to, I'm going to try not to show my face actually just, just watch and see how it pans out. See what the vibe is, see how many people show up, you know, because if, tw- if you have 1200, a field of 1200 and 200 people show up, what really is the point of doing it when you can just roll over and over for the next year when it's a real event? So I, I don't know. And, you know, and then all these people paid their, whatever their fee was, they're not getting anything because they didn't show up. They're just like, ah, screw it. I don't want to go to it because they might be afraid. You know, I'm, I'm really interested to see what the vibe is with that. Squat Peak 50 is another one here in Utah on June 13th. I think um, they're going to go ahead with the race. And apparently the health department is cooperating. Like they want to do it. Like they want to make it happen, but I mean, we'll see. I don't want to be the Guinea pig. You know, I think Bryce Canyon and locally anyway, well, Bryce Canyon and Squat Peak are sort of the guinea pigs right now. So whatever they do is going to be, if it's done really, really well, then they can be the leader and say, hey, this is a good way to do it. But but if I do do it, I can guarantee you that we will we'll set up pretty high standard on on doing it right. So, you know, we'll see. It just, it really is like, who knows? I don't think anybody really knows now yet. What I would like to imagine, and I hope everybody is imagining this as well, um, you said you didn't want to show your face at those races. I'm picturing like an <laughs> undercover boss type thing where you get I a could really, wear a mask. Yeah, you could. Well, you could wear it, get a bad wig, get like a with like a bad mullet wig, and then a really yes. bad pair of glasses and a mustache, and you could be Marl Keltzer, and you know, people would be like, it's like, oh, I'm here, I'm just uh, just uh, spectating over here, and do like the undercover you know, it would boss. Be pretty thing. easy to probably get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly not about, it's just, we just want to see what the vibe is, you know? Um, if it's really this somber crowd that everybody's hiding away from everybody else yeah. and being afraid to talk to everybody and that kind of thing, it's just like, I don't know, it sort of defeats the purpose. Virtually, it would be virtual reality of virtual, virtual, I don't know, virtual is stupid, but <laughs> uh, we won't have a virtual race. I can just assure you that. Are you against virtual races, Carl? Yeah. um i'm not so i'm not against really if here's the thing so if it motivates you to to do your miles to do your thing like that's totally cool there's nothing wrong with that um you know the virtual race across tennessee that blew up out of nowhere off the chart i don't think last expected eighteen thousand people right um but you know if that motivates you to get a thousand kilometers in faster than you would have normally go for it you know there's nothing wrong with that i think what Another another race director, Clark Zealand, who does Mountain Masochist, um, Grindstone, and yep. a few other. I guess what his deal is, if their races are canceled, and I think Promised Land 50K was one of his too, you could virtually, virtually run the race, but you had to run on the course. Now, that sort of makes sense, okay? Yeah. You can't have a virtual race 
you can't have a virtual speed goal where some joker goes on his treadmill and says he climbed 12,000 feet and 31 miles and tell me you ran a speed goal. That's not going to happen. That's just, to me, that's just like silliness. Um, to pay for a virtual race is silliness, I think, because you're really just paying to buy yourself a metal deck you can make yourself. Um, but, you know, hey, if it motivates you, go for it. I have, clients, I have a few clients that are doing it, so, you know, I don't want to be too negative here. <laughs> But at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I won't be running any virtual races anytime soon. It's just well, you know, kind of weird. Carl, I'm disappointed because I was hoping you'd take the speed goat virtually so I could go <laughs> run it on my local rails to trail uh, greenway mm. and, and finish in a really reasonable time and get a speed goat finishers t-shirt. But that's not going to happen. Well, see, you know, you run it on the rails to trail. You show up on the ultrasonic, and the, the record is Ryan Plockelman, 340. <laughs> Second, Jim Wamsley, 504. Like, wait a minute. Right? <laughs> Can we change some, change some results on ultrasonic, make that happen? That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> no, 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 not, well, not at all. Not at all, Carl. Not, not, leave that alone. But, yeah. but, but you know, that's, uh, that's one of the reasons. I think what Clark is doing is, is kind of like, I think, if there's any way to do the virtual route, I think he's doing it right because you're actually on the right course. Um, but yeah, you, it, the whole thing about running as much vertical as the race, it's all different. So it's not even really, it's not a race, you know, I want it to be a mass start, a, a regular race. And that's just, you know, normal, normalcy. All right. You're not getting, I don't know if that's possible. not getting a virtual race from Carl Meltzer, everybody. I, I, if you were tuning in hoping that he was going to go virtual, it, it ain't happening. One thing Man. I know about you, Carl, is you have some very strong opinions. If, if you've never heard Carl before in an interview, um, you're probably getting that at this point, that Carl has some very strong opinions. Um, when we get back to normal... And we're all going to races again, and we're not worried about starts and all that stuff. What would you like to see disappear from the ultra world? You've been in the game for a very long time, and the game has changed over Carl Meltzer's long historic career. What new trends, what new things are you seeing at races that you would like to see go bye-bye? Everyone's required to leave their phone at home or in their car or not run with their phone. Now, see, I like running with headphones, right? I like yeah. running with music. I'm all about the music. So I know people use their damn phone for their music, okay? So I guess that's sort of a tough situation for a lot of people. But get an iPod shuffle. Um, but I think this, I'd like to see a race with, and this wouldn't, this would never happen, but I'd like to see a race with no gadgets. Really? Nobody watch. Nobody wears a watch. You know, nobody wears, you know, has their phone or, you know, I guess because I love headphones, I could say you can wear headphones, but they must be checked in first. Uh, so, there, so there's no phone or, or no, uh, you know, tracking gadget of stuff. I think that would be an interesting race. I think people running without a watch, they'd be lost. Well, you know? I, you know, it, it yeah. is kind of freeing. There is, I, I did a race once without a, uh, without a GPS watch. I did strolling gym with like an old Timex. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. and it was kind of weird to not see that pace and just running by effort, but it was mm -hmm. kind of freeing in a way. Cause you're not looking at your watch and going like, Oh, I'm off pace. Oh, I'm off pace. And that sort of thing. Well, I, you know, I, I run with, I, I run with a, I mean, I have a Garmin and it tracks my distance and, but it's my wife that she gave it to me. I don't, I didn't go out and I've never purchased <laughs> I've never paid for a watch, okay? Other than my $12 Casio F91. Yeah. I've given a few watches. Koros has given me a watch, Garmin has, and I've used them. And they're, you know, they're fine. They're great. But I honestly, I really don't. I sure, I look at the watch, the time, and I yeah. usually see what my vertical gain is maybe and my distance. But that's, it really isn't that important to me. I just, you know, back in the day in the 90s, we had the watch to tell time, but we didn't have a watch to track anything. And so people now, everything's, everyone's on their gadget, right? So it would be interesting to see people race without a gadget. Be, I, I really think it would be an interesting uh, test, you know? Yeah. Just, I, that's, a really, that's a really good question of asking, like, what would you like to see change? Because everyone always says, well, ask me the same question of, like, where's also running going now, you know? But this is a different question. This is, like, what would you want to see really change? And I would like to see it change to go back to the old school Every once in a while, run without the gadget, you know, maybe I'm not so sure about the old school M&Ms on the table and <laughs> they're a little dirty. <laughs> I'm not sure about those type of old school things, but, uh, cause those are just, just, just 
cesspools of filth. But, um, you know, I, I think looking back in my career, like the 90s, I raced with, you know, the F91 watch. Now it's like everyone's got their gadgets, their Strava times. Everyone's setting an FKT every day. Like, you know, FKT is just a whole other story with the FKT. But, um, you know, now everybody can track everyone else and people can watch how much they train and stuff like that. And I like to see it go back to a little more old school. But that's it's like anybody else. The older person you talk to, um, the less uh, gadgets or information or, or technology that we've had. So we know what it's like to, to not have the technology of what people have now. So it's be kind of cool to look back. I'd love to see a race, Carl, where you, you know, they don't make a big deal out of it. Again, it's undercover boss. And so you just show up with the the mullet wig on and the bad glasses and the mustache and you would start 10 minutes behind everybody. And what you would do is just as you make your way to the front of the pack, you would just slap phones out of people's hands. So put your damn phone down. Put your damn phone down. Looking at their phone, making them, okay, I got four miles to the A station. I'll be up there in a little while, honey. Well, isn't that cheating? A little bit. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, so we're getting busted for that, but um, they do in the Tour de France. They all of your pieces, right? Yeah. Guys, those guys, another different subject, but those guys, when they race in the Peloton, you know, the two guys get out in front, they got a four minute lead, then it goes down to 350, down to 340. It's all calculated. So they always, always, always catch them at the end with a half a mile to go because they had their rear pieces on knowing exactly what the shit's going on. And I mean, that's just how they race and that's fine. That's how it is. Um, you know, that sort of happens now. I mean, one of our friends is finishing the watch that's 100 and she's calling her husband. I'll be there at five, pick me up. You know, and she's got 20 miles out. Like he's supposed to go wait at the finish line, suffer there for like nine hours waiting for it. <laughs> like it used to be, uh, the good old days. Come, you know, instead of like, Oh, I'm getting a phone call. She's a mile out, get her, get her banana cut or whatever the hell it is, you know? <laughs> It's just, it's just different with technology, put it that way. <laughs> Carl, uh, you're, you're, you've never hidden. We've talked about the technology, and you like earphones. You like to listen to music while you run. This mm-hmm. is trying to go deeper with the speed goat. I want people, you know, people have heard Carl on interviews before, but I don't know if you've ever answered this question. On your iPod shuffle, that pink iPod shuffle you got from your from your your wife's daughter, she wasn't using it anymore. And so, same you, music I have on there now. Right. Um, what is a what is a guilty pleasure song of yours? A song that people wouldn't think that Carl the Speed Goat Meltzer has in his iPod and listens to while he runs. Uh, I don't know the name of the songs, but I like a few Keith Urban tunes that jam jam uh, banjo. Okay, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I thought maybe Taylor Swift or something was on there. <laughs> no, that's a little that's a little much for me. But but I like I like really clean uh, clean acoustic music. Yeah, you know. Um, and I mean, I, I you know I've said I've liked the Dead a million times, but I mean that's it's different. But you know that's the, like I never even would have heard of Keith even today had my wife not introduced that music to me. So you know, I mean, I like I like it. You know, I like I like the banjo when it's when it's jamming. I don't think anyone's going to give you crap for that, Carl. I don't think anyone's going to go like, ah, I'm unfriending Carl on Facebook because he listens to Keith Urban. I mean, he's... Well, a couple of my croquet croquet friends, they would probably give me shit. (laughs) They're listening because they're about 10 years younger than me. They're listening to some hip-hop jiggity-doo from Detroit. (laughs) I don't know what the hell they're listening to. They're telling me it's good music. This guy's yelling at each other, you know? Carl just said, hip-hop diggity-doo, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Dot com. Carl. All right, Carl. So, a couple of things before we let you go. And by the way, I can't thank you enough for being an early guest on the Adventure Jogger. Uh, on. It's it's super hard to when you say you're launching a new podcast. People are like, yeah, we'll, we'll just wait and see how it goes. Um, what about training? Let's let's try and give some people some educational value. You've been okay. on record numerous times saying people run too many miles. You're a person who can run 100 miles and, and win a 100-mile ultramarathon on a peak week of 75 miles or less. What, a high peak, yeah. Yeah what, yeah, what training advice do you have for people uh, listening to the podcast? Well, I mean, I, you talk about mileage, right? So you look at someone that in their 20s. Um, I'll, give, I'll give the extreme example for, you know, and Jim, and talk about Jim Wamsley a lot. But Jim was, before he went to that Olympic trials marathon, he banged out a few 175-mile weeks. And I was, we had a meeting with Hocus. I was talking about it and I didn't, I'm not telling Jim how to train ever. I think he's doing all right. Yeah. But you know, 175, that's just like, 
you know, he would, oh, I went out 26 this morning at 605s, you know, and I'm just like, huh? You know, but Jim can handle it. He's younger. When you're younger, you can handle it. I think as you get older, you have to respect the fact that you can't really run as, as many miles probably because the recovery factor takes longer. You get injur- injuries more often. But my kind of training has always been, um, it's generally based on feel. I, I don't run real easy I run easy once in a while when I feel when I'm tired, I'll just go easy and I'll just hike. Now I'll just hike. I used to run everything. Yeah. I used to run everything uphill. I don't care how steep it was. Uh, Mount Olympus, an example for that would be Mount Olympus in Salt Lake. It's 4,100 vertical feet, three miles. I run it. And that's like 1,300 feet a mile. That's steep. Whew. To be able to run, I mean, I don't know how fast you're really running, but you're running, you know, still jogging. Um, nowadays I do a lot of hiking, but it was mostly based on feel. But I would do a lot of vertical gain. A lot of hard uphill running, but the downhill wasn't always that fast. So I'm getting a lot of um, cardio strength going uphill, downhill. Even when you're going slower downhill, you're still resisting. So it's kind of like resistance muscles. So you're still getting power into your legs. You're still working your legs. That's how my training has always been. I mean, I live in the Wasatch Mountains. It's steep here. It's rocky. It's tough. It's altitude. Um, Try to train on the terrain that you're going to race on. Um, If you live in, you know, Key West, Leadville's probably not for you. Uh, <laughs> well, let's see, that's mostly the altitude, but at the same time, it's like, that's be more specific. If you want to run a race, that's, you know, a trail race like Penhody, um, that kind of train is what you should train on. You know, you work hard, you work hard a couple of days a week, you go easy a couple of days a week. It's good to do intervals a little bit here and there to kind of keep your leg speed up um, and listen to your body and know when to, to turn around and walk home, which is, that's really an injury scenario. I'm dealing with a calf injury right now and three miles a day, which is pathetic for me, but that's about all it's handling right now until it's like, I don't want to do too much, you know, until I come back. So I'm just really listening to my body more than anything and trying to stay healthy. And then, you know, I'm 52. Um, so I can't really bang through stuff like I used to. It's just, uh, I've always tried to t- try to teach mostly on feel instead of the science behind it. Um, you know, but there's different, there's all kinds of different views on that angle. There's a lot of whippersnappers that are signed up for superior. And I, I was going to use a term that you were probably going to use. I, since you said hippity hop, what have you, I figured you probably, hippity hop diggity do. I figured you'd say whippersnappers, but there's a lot of whippersnappers that are signed up for the superior 100 going like, Oh, Carl's only running three uh, miles a day now. <laughs> well, you know, all I got to do is that for, it's only a hundred miles, man. <laughs> I love it. Fast. Don't go out too fast. No, I mean, I, when I go to superior, I do obviously hope to be running more than three miles a day. I, my whole view is that if the race does happen and it's, you know, it happens. Um, if I can get in six weeks of reasonable running, you know, above 50 miles a week, I know it's not much, but above 50 miles a week in my mountains, in my terrain. And I feel okay. I'm perfectly fine doesn't mean I'm perfectly fine to say I'm the man to beat. I'm not the man to beat there. I don't care if there's no one on the list that's been on there. That's, you know, but I'm not, I'm just going there to run, to run it and enjoy it. And if I'm pan out, if I pans out that I'm close, you know, with 30 miles to go, then damn right. I'm going to race. And I'm, and I'm still not going to take more than, you know, two minutes in an aid station early. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cheryl. There's no, there's Sorry. no huggy kissy going on. <laughs> so, yeah. But I mean, I'm still playing, I still race mode, but you know, don't expect me to be as fast as I used to. I mean, the terrain there, knowing from uh, previous clients that have run it um, and a client who lives, lives on the trail and he's been a client of mine for a long time, he knows that that track is probably good for me because it's technical. So I know that relative to the field for, you know, most of the people, 95% of the people, I'm probably better than them on that stuff. doesn't mean... I'm going to beat him, but I'm probably, it helps me to be good on technical run. You may not win Carl, but you are going to cross the finish line and you're going to get the superior hoodie that says Carl on it. And you're going to get that, that massive buckle. I honestly, Uh, the buckle's huge. Um, I I ran superior a couple years ago. It is absolutely gorgeous. And people think Minnesota and that sort of thing. And Oh, it's Minnesota. You're, you're absolutely going to love it, Carl. It's a well-run race. I was going to run Kettle Moraine, too. You know, I, I had signed up for Kettle Moraine. Really? You know, and I didn't I didn't run it because – obviously, I didn't run it because it's not happening. But they changed the date to September. So, like, I can only run one of them. But I think Superior is better than Kettle. So, that's why I'm going there. All right, Carl, before we go, and now, now that I've kind of branched out and I'm the full United States, we can talk about all of 
the United States. I'm still going to favor the Beast Coast. I'm still going to, you know, lean more Beast Beast Coast. But five favorite races in the United States for Carl Meltzer. Hard Rock, Wasatch, Massanutten, Zane Gray. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say Western because it's a track meet, but Western is, I wouldn't say it's a favorite race, but it's a great race. Um, Bighorn is a great race. One of my favorites. Uh, there's so many that I've run, but. Um, is there an the, underrated one? Is there a one that you're people don't know about, but you ran it and you, you think people, more people should do it. I think grindstone's awesome. And I think grindstone hundred it's in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that makes that race unique is the terrain is great, but it's not super hard, but, uh, it's also, it's also, um, starts at 6 PM. Yeah. Like a different, which is sort of like a Euro Euro style, right? Like, I mean, in the United States, UTMB would be a great race too, but it's a Euro style start at night. So it really messes with, um, it messes with your nutrition. It messes with how do I prepare? What do I do during the day? You know, everybody lays around and they try to sleep, but they don't sleep. They lay there in their tent. Um, you know, I think that's cool because it's, it's in October. So 13 hours of it, you start, it gets dark like half an hour after you start and then it's dark for 13 hours. So I ran my, my, I still have the record there amazingly. And it was 17. So it was a 13 hours of darkness and four hours of light. <laughs> I think that's kind of unique and that's kind of why I liked it. Cruel Jewel was a great hundred, um, a tough hundred. You know, I like, it doesn't have to be the toughest hundred. I just like something that challenges people that you have to hike and you have to have to run and do all different variabilities of, um, the course. But man, I mean, there's, you know, so many races. Wasatch was the first hundred that I ran and that has a, you know, a special piece to me a little bit too, because it's, I mean, it's, it's local. I run on that trail, like, daily, you know, summertime. So it's kind of cool that that was the start of my thing. And that sort of Wasatch, unfortunately, still a great race. It's still um, a great course. It's a little different now, but unfortunately they never really tried to, they were a very popular hundred back in when I started in early two thousands, cause part of the grand slam, that kind of thing. Yeah. But they don't really promote the race. Like, like most races do. So it's sort of like a lost, um, it's sort of lost in the shuffle, but Man, if people would realize how great that course is or was, I mean, it's hard. It's technical. It's hilly. It's uh, it's a great time of year. The weather is usually it's a little warm during the day, but not bad. Uh, such a great course. I always wanted that course to be like the, the national championship style type course because the race directors would never do that. But th- the way the course is set up, it's it's perfect for that. Absolutely perfect. Point to point. You know, I mean, point to point is always great. So. I mean, those number, those races are all, they're all hundreds except Zane Gray. But Zane Gray is so great because it's so technical. We used to finish that race with our legs were so scratched up and bloody from going through the the nasty, the cactus and all that kind of thing down in Arizona. Now they've cut the trail open. Like people have actually done maintenance on it. So <laughs> well, they didn't do any maintenance before. I mean, there's like, where the hell am I, you know, going through this mess. Um, but now they do maintenance on it. It's not, as, not quite as tough, but. It's so great because it's really technical. It really separated the technical runner from the road runner because a road runner can go there. I can run a 220 marathon, but like Mike Wardy would be a great example. And Mike, obviously, kudos to him. He's an amazing runner. But put him on Zane Gray, I'll probably beat him running backwards. Because, well, you know what I'm saying, but because <laughs> Wardian can run anything. He'll do anything, anywhere, any distance, anytime, whatever. But when it gets as technical as that course was back in the early 2000s, that one really separated the men from the boys. Okay. And, uh, but the thing is, Carl, unless we get a time machine, unless Hoka sells enough shoes for you to be able to buy a DeLorean with a flux capacitor, <laughs> we'll never know if you could beat Michael Wardian running backwards on the old Zane Gray course. Yeah, we won't know. Um, I'm going to need some special 10-9 shoes from Hoka or something. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, that, that was just a, It was a special time because we would go there, camp at the start line, you know, you and your buddies would hang out. We'd cook, we'd cook whatever, camp at the start line, hitch a ride with somebody back to get the car because it's point to point. And uh, it was just really old school, you know, long distance between aid stations, especially because it was technical. It made some way stations were three hours apart. For some people, that was only eight miles, but it would take them three and a half hours because it was just so nasty. It's such a great old school race. Very cool. Carl, again, I can't thank you enough for being one of my first guests on the Adventure Jogger podcast. 
Anytime, man. You know, I'm always always available. Unless I'm golfing. <laughs> I won't bother you during your golfing, I promise, Carl. Hey, and if you ever get a hold, of, a hold of Jordan, let him know I'm in. All right, I will. We'll make that happen. That'll be the next uh, big Hoka video will be the Speed Goat versus Michael Jordan and golf. I need to talk to them about that. It's not a bad idea. I love it. I love it. It'd be virtual. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be golden tea. You guys can play each other in golden tea. Yeah, there you go. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 